You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV. Hey guys, welcome into the AfterBuzz TV After Show here for Manhattan, WGN's new series, Manhattan. Season 1, Episode 1, the series premiere, You Always Hurt the Ones You Love. Isn't that so true? It is very true. (laughs) Even before we talk about the show itself, the title is just a fact of life that you just... We all need to learn, I it, guess. It applies to everyone, no matter what time period we're in. I cried just reading the title of the show before <laughs> we even watched the episode. Well, I felt this is going to be a really hard-hitting, dramatic sh- series. And so. it is. So far, it is. Guys, so I'm Bobby DeMuro with Marissa Serafini. If you guys watch Salem or Penny Dreadful or Lord knows what else we do, you <laughs> know we've us. We've done a few. Um, this is like in our wheelhouse right now. We couldn't find anybody to do this show with us, guys. And it's it's either because we're awful people, which I hope is not true. <laughs> I don't think so. Or we're going to nerd out so hard on it. Mm-hmm. That nobody else was going to bring the heat like we were. Oh, exactly. I completely <laughs> believe it's the latter. So I hope it's, it's going to be latter. fun. My mom tells me I'm really cool, so I'm just going to go with that. I mean, yes, yeah. I believe it too. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about the show. And guys, since this is a new show, see, uh, series premiere for Manhattan, if you haven't done this for other AfterBuzz shows, if you're new to AfterBuzz, follow AfterBuzz on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. It is literally just out, out, all one word AfterBuzz TV, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. If yeah. you're listening on iTunes, Rate us if you'd be so kind, and if you are watching on YouTube, hit subscribe, comment in the comment box. We would love to hear from you. We will give our Twitter links and stuff out at the end of the show, so you guys can tweet us, too, if you have any great insight. Let's get them out now. Let's do it now. Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. Serafini TV. I'm at Bobby DeMuro on Twitter at Mr. Bobby DeMuro on Instagram. So while you're following AfterBuzz, you can follow us, too, if you're new here. If you're not new to AfterBuzz, welcome back. We got a new show. All right, let's get into this now. I want to start with... The bomb with the the mission, I guess, as it were, and with the men. Because we have two groups of people here. It's the husbands who are doing the work and the wives who are in the dark. So let's start with the husbands doing the work. We open up and see that it is, what was it, 766 days before Hiroshima. Yes. We're hearing the radio that all these soldiers are dying. One thing that I will say about this that really opens the scene in the show for me on the war side is the propaganda. That scene, that that poster they come across. The who, billboard, yeah. Whose son will die in the last minute of war and all that propaganda stuff. Did you go on the Manhattan website? Have you been on the website on WGN? Not on the website, but I have looked up World War II propaganda posters it's and they're baller. all surprisingly eerie, creepy kind of cheery type of propaganda yeah. just to, you know, get the other people, you know, involved in the war. Look up, go on the Manhattan website. It's like WGNAmerica.com slash Manhattan or something. And it they have a bunch of posters that I think they created for the show that aren't real. Mm-hmm. But it's a bunch of posters about, you know, if you talk, Hitler wins. Like, if you talk, our soldiers die. Yeah. And it really set up this whole conspiracy thing that we've got going on now in the show. It's a very cool thing. Um, okay, let's talk about this, though, because we know... Everybody knows, hopefully, a little bit about World War II, but they may not know about the Manhattan Project. So we are introduced to Glenn and Frank. Glenn with the nice facial hair, and we've got mm-hmm. Frank, who's kind of our main character that we learn. And we don't learn his name for a little while, but they are working on a project. And we learn very soon what it is they're working on. But the key here is Frank was uh, hitting golf balls and realized that the compression of a golf ball can be used in a bomb, a can bomb. be used in this way. So it seems to me from the start we established that Frank 
not only is a very good scientist and very smart, but he thinks a little outside the box. He's not the traditional. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. He's very creative and innovative in that way because a lot of people are thinking scientifics and math and numbers, and then they, I feel like Frank has the more creative aspect, and he he sees everything in a very bigger, broader sense, of the the bigger picture. And he also seems to me, because he said multiple times in this show, you know, Americans are dying, we can't slow down, we have to keep going. By the end, spoiler alert, when his team is kind of disbanded for the time, right. he, he completely flips out because so many people are dying, and what is it, a hundred soldiers a day die, or four soldiers die every day. hour, or yeah. whatever. And so to hear that and to see that, not only is he a great scientist and kind of rogue and kind of original, but he also, this weighs on him very, very emotionally. It's not, when you talk about science, a lot of times the scientist is removed from the experiment. You don't want to emotionally get into it. You just want to look at it objectively. Yeah. He's not objective at all. No, and, and it's becoming black and white for him. And you yeah. can see how it's affecting him, his personality, his behavior, his his you know his relationship with his wife, too. I mean, and we'll definitely get into that, too. Yeah. So it's, and this is a guy who's been in this project for a long time already compared to other people who are just now getting introduced to the project. And, and thankfully for him, I don't want to get to his wife too much, but his wife has some issues later. But at the start of the episode, at least, even though she's in the dark, she's very supportive, mm-hmm. which in a way makes me think that she's kind of enabling him to behave the way he behaves. She's a little too supportive because it allows him to get emotionally tied into it because he's not emotionally tied to her as much. No. I don't doubt that they love each other. It's just But he's, he's more dedicated to the, this project yeah. than he is to his wife. Yeah, which is which is a problem. Which is sad. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I understand why. And World War II is a much bigger event than, you know, the stuff we do. Yeah, and he, but, but even marriages back then were completely different than they are today. Yeah. So. And remember, his wife has a PhD in botany. She's botany, no, yeah. she's From no, Burner. yeah, she's no like she's no wilting flower. Care for the pun? <laughs> she's no wilting flower herself. So she she does have to be tough by design. Let's talk about yes. her in a minute, though. Um, first thing, Frank. At one point, the military police come into Frank's lab and confront everybody in the lab about stealing secrets and whatever, which we learn more about later. But Frank dresses them down and says one thing that interested me about how even the vice president. Doesn't, doesn't know this project exists. And that's fascinating because it shows just how exclusive this project is. And they're, they're only bringing people in that they are smart enough, obviously, to and intelligent to conduct this research and project, but then also, you know, loyal and knows that they can't, you know, spill all these secrets. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that the more people you get involved with a secret, the tougher it is to hold that secret. And this is a lot yeah. of people. And if the vice president doesn't know, it must be a huge secret. It's huge. But a lot of people still know this thing. And obviously cracks are coming. We know that's going to be a big part of the show. And we saw one today with Bill. Yeah. And it's, it's my – sorry to go back to like just the vice president and I knowing. It's amazing that they've built this whole community of six to 7,000 people. But still, the vice president doesn't know. You'd think something would get leaked. And I would imagine communities around there, I understand this is very rural New Mexico, but yeah. there's something relatively near there. Farmers and small towns have seen hundreds of people driving through to go to this place. Somebody would have to ask a question at some point. So I wonder how this community fits in with other communities, even communities 50 miles away. Somebody's seen somebody driving in. Yeah, but the good thing about this community, it's small enough to think it's just a normal type of regular town and there are people there but it's big enough to like keep a secret like this and maybe conversely because of the propaganda we talk about in world war ii maybe everybody there's so much jingoism there's so much patriotism that everybody kind of looks the other way and says it's military they're winning the war for us 
God bless them. We're not going to ask any questions. Maybe that's what it is. Exactly. And it, that, that. that certainly could be part of it. And but I would I would think they would ask questions because throughout the show we see a ton of explosions. Don't actually we don't see them. We hear yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> we hear them and like see the light. Which, yeah. Like I love all these foreshadowing aspects of what what in what we're planning on seeing down yeah. the road. And I love the foreshadowing of the dream Frank has. He's so involved in it and so involved in the thing. And then he has that dream about the bomb and his wife and daughter, like, running outside, and the bomb comes and whoosh over them. Yeah, because it's not only affecting his family. It's just affecting family families in general. Like, yeah. everyone he's going to be affecting. Yeah. And I find fascinating. I, I Frank kills me. The one thing, and I don't think Frank said it, I think it's a good point to introduce Charlie, actually, because Charlie said it. It was interesting to see Charlie come in with his wife and drive up to the town. It was a good intro to the town for us because we were as confused about it as he was. Mm -hmm. But then we learn a little bit more about Charlie and how much of a hotshot he is. Now, Frank was the only one who didn't accept his paper when his paper was being submitted to various places, and I guess he won a bunch of awards with it besides for Frank. Yeah, Uh, Forbes Prize. Yeah, which, I mean, sounds great. That's a big deal, though. (laughs) Is it? I don't know what it is. (laughs) Scientific. Is it a literal, actual scientific thing, or did they just make up, like, Forbes is just a name they created? No, I believe Forbes is actually a... A prize. prize yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It's not the Nobel Prize, but <laughs> no, whatever. I'm but, sure it's still good. But it's still it, – <laughs> it's an award that's, you know, very highly – you know, it's a yeah. prestigious award. Well, and that's the thing. Charlie's a prestigious guy, and we learn about Charlie. And then when Charlie meets with Reed Akeley, who we don't see a ton of Reed Akeley now. We hear more about him than we see about him. Um Reed's probably going to function to be a pretty strong antagonist on some level. I definitely think so. And the fact that we know that Reed is more the mathematical guy. And he doesn't have the personality because no one likes him as a person. But he does have the skills and have all the calculations. And that's why everyone deals with Akeley. And compared to we have, uh, you know, our main guy who who's the more creative aspect. So we have math and analytics against someone who's creative. Yeah, which if they could work together, it would probably be the best bet. But of course they can't because we need a little conflict on the show. But we do learn with Charlie, and one thing Reed says to Charlie is this war will be fought on a battlefield, but peace will be won with brains, not brawn, Mm -hmm. which I think is a great um, foreshadow to war in the future from 1943. It was won with brains with what happened with atomic bombs then. It was one, and it's won with brains more than brawn now in terms of technological advancement and strategy and things like that, more so than just sending out thousands of troops to different places and marching somewhere. Yeah, and I feel like today's evolution, just how society evolves, is that you have to have both to, you know, keep progressing forward. Yeah. And I think might get into predictions territory that they will have to eventually, you know, coincide with each other to work and try to get this going. Yeah. Well, we do, we know how the story ends. We definitely yeah. know how the story ends. They I, mean, gotta, I think all of us. They, they got to be true to that. If you don't know how the story ends, guys, you're watching the wrong show. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert: America wins. Back to back World War champs. Um, <laughs> so moving on, moving on to Bill, an interesting another interesting part of this, and I can't wait to see more of the conspiracy side, of the leaked document side, of the classified side, because we get it with Bill now, and it turns out that Bill has been taking documents and we didn't know at the start what was going on but he's been taking documents and this guy cox one of the corporals or commanders confronts frank about you know whether there's a spy or whether there's somebody leaking information or whatever and they're so sensitive about spies that they've got to worry i wonder too and they didn't play it up and we don't know too much about bill yet but because bill is of asian descent and because Mm -hmm. one of the enemies is japan i want to see how they treat that 
potential spy relationship because going on at this time in the southwest of America at the simultaneously were internment camps. Oh, exactly. So I, f- I found that fascinating too. But also, if you think about it, we did have Asian Japanese spies for us during Pearl Harbor. Yeah, and, and so they they were giving us intel about you know the Japanese battleship movements and stuff. So, I mean. I know we're against war, you know, against Japan, but they, in fairness, not all Asians that we're going to come across are automatically spies. Oh, I totally agree with you. I just have a feeling that because he is Asian, it's an easy scapegoat or the first place they can go. Oh, yeah. And and especially for an audience to kind of tell the simplest story at the start and then let the onion layers come off. Mm -hmm. The simplest story at the start is like you look at this guy and they look at him and they say, you've been leaking documents. You're of Asian descent. Something doesn't feel right. And whether or not that's true, the story he told was his daughter was sick, he needed money, he wanted to sell the patents, which may be a very true story. It may also be a very convenient story. Because Mm -hmm. when he tells that story to Frank, what's Frank supposed to do? I know Frank got mad at him anyways, but what's Frank supposed to do? Is he supposed to say, you know, damn your daughter, I'm going to turn you in. It's like Frank's got too much compassion. And if Bill is a little dirty, a little, you know, under the table, Bill knows Frank has that compassion. And can manipulate. And also because we don't really know exactly how long these two have been working together because we know from uh, Frank's perspective that they are good friends and co-workers. They know each other and we know that Bill is not a spy. But us being an audience, just being introduced to this character, we still have to question if he's clean guy or not. Yeah. The interesting thing, though, with Cox now, Cox offered the, what, the 10 new IBM machines yeah. to, to Frank. Cyclotron. And Frank didn't take it. Sacrifice the few mm. to save the many, and Frank got pissed. And that, and at, at that exact moment, he learned that they were a 12-week schedule ahead of Reed Akeley's team for the bomb, which I'm interested to see how they would know that much about Reed Akeley's work himself. But whatever, we'll take it. But they had all the women do crunch all the numbers for them, which was smart. Yeah, which was pretty smart. And, and yes, it was, women power. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to see even the guy, when, she, when the women were crunching the numbers, he even had to double-check. He was like, are you sure? Did you mm-hmm. check? She's like, it's right. That's it's right. right. Just go. <laughs> so it's an interesting relationship, you know, um, male-female kind of interaction in the 40s that probably would have happened. Yeah, and I found that fascinating because also during wars, we know that the men usually go off to the wars and the women are staying at home. But in this particular community, everyone's still together and working together on this one project, even though maybe not everyone knows exactly what they're working on. But the fact that we had this symbiosis going on with male and female working together is fascinating, especially during the war. And, I mean, Rosie the Riveter, World War, another World I mean, War hello. II propaganda thing. You yeah. know, that's one of the most iconic images of maybe women in America ever. Um, so, and, I mean... And, it, and, yeah, also, sorry, um, also this period is when women, like, were becoming the, like, growing up in the ranks in the popularity because they had to take over for the men. Yeah. So this is when women were coming to power. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see in terms of desperation how they do it on the base because there's only a finite amount of labor. There's only a finite pool of people they can use. Yeah. So who knows how much they have to turn to women for whatever, which I guess we'll see in the future. Um, but the, the reason I mention it is the 12 weeks thing, Frank realizes they're 12 weeks ahead of Akeley, already turned down the IBM machines, but then he goes to Oppenheimer and has that weird conversation in the car with Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Frank really could have used those IBM machines. He told Oppenheimer he needed... You know, wants IBM machines and 30 men, and he would have it done in a month or have the schematics done in a month. And Oppenheimer tells him, you know, sorry, buddy, it's already over. Yeah. Tough. And then kicks him out of the car in the middle of the desert. I mean, he's Oppenheimer, though. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame him. But also it shows that 
just how powerful Oppenheimer is because he might think just overall the greater picture of everything. It's like, no, this is the smarter route. It might take a little bit longer, but it might be smarter. Yeah. And the, compared to your more faster, you know, hasty project might be more dangerous. So I can understand where, like, he, he's making that judgment call. And I will say about Oppenheimer, I understood the metaphor of talking about the volcano, everything being buried. Detonate. I, under, I understand that metaphor, but it's a weird thing to say. When you're in war and you are clearly on a timetable because people are dying and you want to win and you just want it to end and you want to find a solution, uh, Oppenheimer's a little too artistic and a little too like kind of whimsical almost to be talking about you know this area it's a volcano and in a, in a couple million years it's going to explode again it was sort of like it doesn't matter man we're all just like on the earth it was like wait a second I know. it does matter i didn't really picture that from a well-known physicist exactly. such as oppenheimer so i don't know if that was just the portrayal that they want to go with this type of character and portraying someone who was actually real or is that the, you know just the, the creative license that the actor took in his portrayal? Or alternatively, maybe Oppenheimer, because he said the thing was already done, that Reed's group is the one who's going to build the bomb, that it's already over. Maybe they portrayed Oppenheimer in that way to exemplify that even Oppenheimer, as much as we thought he had power and was into it or whatever, maybe people were pulling his strings. And he was kind of defenseless, mm-hmm. too, or, or you know was powerless, too. And there's larger people on the totem pole and they're the ones telling them what has to happen and our and oppenheimer consequently sits there in the car and he's kind of like it doesn't matter i have no say either yeah, sorry dude he eventually has to go to the vice president and the president yeah. with the decision overall yeah so i mean he might be the everyday guy for a decision but ultimately he doesn't have the one last one i like that we don't follow oppenheimer i like that we don't follow because that name is synonymous with the manhattan project and it is the name totally. for this sort of stuff and maybe we'll follow him more later in the show. But I like that we don't follow him, and we've only seen him in a scene and little bits in other scenes referenced to. I, I like following other people more. I think it allows WGN to take more creative license, and they can do a little different stuff. But I also think it just lets us see the families and the base and the relationships and the conspiracies and all that without just seeing the cut and dry, you know, let's meet with the president, let's meet with the – all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I like also how this show is touching upon the middleman that we probably wouldn't think of because we think Oppenheimer when it comes to my, the Manhattan Project, but then we don't think of the people who actually executed it yeah. and put it together and thought of all these things and, like, did all the calculations. I mean, we, we know the end result, but we don't know the middle part. Yeah. I wonder, if we'll, I wonder how much of the end result we will see, speaking of that. Totally off topic. But oh, yeah. I was just thinking about it. I wonder how far they'll take this mm-hmm. in the future or if we see any actual war scenes with it or whatever as kind of a conclusion or something. Or even know. test explosions. Yeah. I mean, they had a lot of those before oh, we I'm even sure did we it. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we'll see that. Tef- Absolutely. Definitely. We have to do – one day on this show, we will do a good discussion on nuclear testing explosions because not only America, other countries do fascinating things. France has islands in the South Pacific that they've used for nuclear testing for decades that are just totally uninhabitable now. <laughs> There's huge, like, <laughs> like no massive, massive – like, it's fascinating, man. We have to – we'll, we'll do we'll that We'll nerd later. out on that later. <laughs> We will definitely nerd out because there's some cool, cool graphics and stuff online. Um, let's move forward to Frank coming back, walking all the way back in from the desert, which was such a disrespectful Aww. way to leave him. But but at least Frank got his meeting with Oppenheimer. Yeah, I mean, Oppenheimer. That's what he wanted. Um, but walking all the way in from the desert and then seeing Glenn, who says, you know, we've been discharged. Sorry, man. We already know the whole thing's over. Um, Your project's dissolved. And then that weird Fourth of July party. Yeah. Now... <laughs> Well, there's two things to talk about in the 4th of July party. The first one is Frank and his emotional life and whatever happened. 
there's three things, really. The second one's the women. We'll get to in a minute as a whole. But the third one is Charlie. And let's talk about Charlie here before we do that. Because good old Charlie leaks some information to Abby right before that 4th of July party that's going to come into play. Oh, and that's totally going to bite him in the behind. Here's my question. So Abby says at the party, she drops that Charlie told her something. The girls pick up on it immediately. Gadget. And she says, she lies to him, says it was a radar system to pick up Hitler's war planes from half a world away, blah, blah, blah. Here's my question for you. Did Charlie tell Abby the truth and Abby just came up with a lie on the girls? Mm-hmm. Or is what Abby told the girls the same thing Charlie told Abby? And he wanted to get something off his chest, but he lied to her so he, she would feel included, but he didn't have to tell her confidential info. Right. I mean, it's so hard because they edited that conversation between Charlie and his wife so short that it seems like he was telling all of the information in the calling it the gadget instead of an atomic bomb. Yeah. But... Because they cut it in like in half, and we didn't see the full conversation at this point. Because it's so new to b- these this couple, and that I feel that Charlie might have actually told the whole truth. But then when she was relaying the information to the women, and then finally realized that hey, these women don't know anything that's going on, and I should probably keep this a secret. So she lied on like right then and there on the spot. I hundred percent agree with you, and I will add that I think Charlie probably told Abby the truth because. It weighs on these guys so much. And yes, I know Charlie's new, but Charlie's so new to the project, so young and so green, and he and Abby are in love, and they're, you know, best friends, whatever you want to call that. I mean, they have a very close bond being in love and being married. You want to tell that person everything, and when you can't, it kind of eats up at you anyways. And look at Frank having to finally come clean and tell somebody. Now, the person he told didn't speak English, so there were no consequences. Mm -hmm. But even Frank, it eats him up so much he has to tell somebody that I think with Charlie it probably ate him up too and he had to tell Abby. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, Charlie said it all right then and there because they've only been in that town for, what, one, two days and it's already affecting them in their marriage already. So I think... Yes, because we compare it to Frank's relationship with his wife that they've been going on for so long. It's like literally deteriorating their marriage. Yeah. So I think it's really um, the, the truth at, at Frank. And then Frank and Charlie kind of meet up at this party after Charlie's um, issue with his wife, which we'll talk about the wife's metaphor with the flowers and stuff when we get to the women in a second because I know you got a lot on that. <laughs> but let's let's fast forward past that for a minute and finish up on the guys before we go to the women. Frank and Charlie kind of confront each other about the paper rejection and all that. And then Charlie asks an interesting question about future wars, which we were talking about. What does this technology do in future wars? We can solve this now. We can drop a bomb on Japan, which they end up doing. We can create peace for the time. Mm-hmm. But if this technology is out there, if other countries have this, what does it mean when, what does he say, when Stalin gets China and all these other countries involved, and he's right. Yeah, and I love the metaphor that he uses, and also the golem, because golem itself means, you know, that there's no shape to it, and you so you don't know, because they're creating such an important project, and then, like, if it, it could all backfire on them at any second, so they really have to be careful about that, and I yeah. love that metaphor, be like, hey, we gotta be the first ones to do this, because whoever is the first one to complete this project you know, complete the atomic bomb is end game. Yeah. So we got to be the first ones to do it. Yeah. And I, I loved how they really pointed that out. It's, it really is, you have to be smart about it, but you also have to be fast about it. And the, and that's the, the quintessential conflict between Reed Akeley's team and Frank's team. Frank is now faster. He's 12 weeks faster. He flies by the seat of his pants, it appears a little bit, and Reed is more scientific, mathematical, proper. Both have their strengths, 
but how do you do it properly and efficiently? Quickly? Yeah, and that's the thing. And then Frank, the cutest scene to me in a weird way was Frank talking about the death and destruction coming from an A bomb and all this stuff to the housekeeper, to the the mm-hmm. Spanish woman or to the Hispanic woman who speaks no English. I loved that. The whole scene, I'm like, who is he telling? Who is he telling? Right. Who is he? And then I see her, and I'm like, you got to be kidding. It's perfect. But it's also because how they edited it too, because yeah. we see Frank and then looking at his wife, and then we hear the voiceover. So you think that he's speaking to his wife, and really he's just speaking to the housekeeper. And then like, that was smart, though. It, it was smart and good for him for not telling anybody. And hopefully Charlie didn't tell Abby, although we both think she did. I think we, he did, but good for Frank for finally getting it off his chest. My only concern is you can't lie to your wife. You can't keep stuff from your wife. I respect the confidentiality of the military and stuff, but if you're going to break the confidentiality and tell anybody, even if they don't speak English, mm-hmm. it's still a little weird to have to now keep this stuff from your wife. And as we see, they obviously have a strained relationship because of it. as tough as she is, that relationship is still strained. It's, it's kind of doomed right now. Yeah. But also, I love how the wife is still understanding despite everything that's going on because of the secrecy and the distance that's now in between them that she's also a scientist, so she understands things in a certain way to be like, this project is for your science, and I can understand that. Yeah. So, and, like, I like that relationship more so that, like, hey, I'm just a woman and I need my husband, but, like, from this scientific aspect. Well, let's talk women bees. I'm glad you brought that up because my first point about the women is... All of them are, are, to this point, from what we've seen, all of them are kind of stereotypical housewives, in the dark, gossipy. I don't mean to be cruel. I mean, I think that's no, just a stereotype they're, they're establishing. Were. Except for Liza Winter, who has the PhD in botany, is a little tougher, is much smarter, is a little more assertive, and not coincidentally, is also more accepting of what her husband does because of what you just mentioned. So these women, I actually, when I first started to read reviews on this show and stuff, I kind of thought, you know what, I want to see more about the history, and I want to see more about the A-bomb, and I want to see what they did, and I don't care as much about the wives, and I don't want to get mired in the relationships, the community. And then once they did it in the first episode, I was like, oh, the wives are more interesting. Let's do that. Let's do the girls. Yeah, <laughs> it's I more mean, interesting. It's, a, it's a funny aspect because with the guys, we get all the analytic and even the visual aspects of what's going on in the atomic bomb in the actual project because we see all the schematics and, you yeah. know, um, things, operations and formulas. But then with all the women, we had the complete opposite, the antithesis of the, the men. And there's like they completely don't have any idea and they're speculating they're, they, I think most of them has figured out they're working for the government, but what exactly are they working for? Yeah, yeah, and that's and it's a cool idea to just see them to see Faye, Dot, Rose, Akeley, all those women when they meet Abby, and Abby is so green and whatever. But yeah. to see them all kind of talk about what life is like here and what they do, and then there's explosions literally in the background, you know. And Abby, you'll get used to it. <laughs> exactly, Abby's thrown by it, but they're like, oh, it's explosions, whatever. Little do they know it's nuclear something or other. <laughs> yeah, they're mini bombs. <laughs> but poor land. And speaking of that land, that's what's hilarious to me is. Liza, with the Ph.D. in botany, knows everything about growing everything and what to do, mm-hmm. and she can't figure out why you can't grow anything in the land. Not only is it a rule that you can't, but why also the land just doesn't work. And it's like, dude, there's no way she could have known, but yeah. it's like, dude, all the soil's messed up. <laughs> yeah, terrible. it is. And there's no water either, so it's yeah. affecting the plants themselves because now this plant that's supposed to be white, this chrysanthemum and flower, is supposed to be white, and now it's p- purple and it's turned into a hybrid. Yeah. So I felt like it was also somewhat of you know a metaphor for everything that's going on right now because they think it's one thing but it's actually a mix of something else no and it's a metaphor for liza and frank's relationship it's supposed to be one thing it was one thing it was a 
excuse me, it was established to us that they were good and tough and together as one thing, but then it's sort of a hybrid that is developing into something else through stress. So, okay, talk to me about this orchid because she makes this great metaphor about yeah. the orchid. It can live everywhere, and I know you've got like a book on it. So. Oh, not so much a book, but I, I found it fascinating that she, she talked about this purple orchid, the Orchis mascula, which actually mascula is is derived from the Latin term masculine, which actually means male. Yeah. And then when she's like, no, I wasn't talking about me. I was talking about you. You're the male in yeah. this relationship. I thought that was <laughs> fascinating. But the fact that even plants have to, you know, work together and to survive. And then if you don't have one thing, then the other can't survive. And that's also the metaphor for the relationship. If one person's not honest, completely honest, and works and l- allows the other person in on the relationship, it's not going to work. The marriage yeah. is going to die. So I thought that was very fascinating how she took, and that's how both of them can understand each other through science. Not through the love aspect, but they have that scientific re- understanding and that, that's the only way, maybe science is the only way to get through Frank's head, unfortunately. That's, uh, that's actually good and an interesting point, actually, to, to think about that, that because Frank is such a brilliant Ph.D. and because she is such a brilliant Ph.D., in 1943, how many married couples each had Ph.D.'s? Not I, a lot. I'm not saying you can or, count it on your hands, how much, but it certainly wasn't a lot. Yeah, and how many women are actually educated back in that yeah, time? It, to that level, absolutely. Yeah, to that level of absolutely. Ph.D. Absolutely. Which I think is great, but I just love how they communicate through science. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see about their relationship. I can't wait to see what comes from their relationship because that was one of the key scenes. And, I mean, I don't want to make a prediction about it yet, but Frank clearly loves her. There's obviously no other woman. There's obviously no loss of love or loss of respect, but he's so preoccupied with this thing. The question is how patient does Liza get with him and how patient will she be because we know she's already been patient for a while. Mm -hmm. So... And it's straining on the relationship because she's the one like, hey, you have to work with me or else we're not going to work out. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. I feel like we're getting into prediction territory, so let's hold that off. Let's do uh, news and gossip first, and then we'll run into predictions. All right, let's just do it. (laughs) Let's go to news. (laughs) All right, we got two pieces of news for you guys today. John Benjamin Hickey, of course, plays Frank. He's our lead guy. He's our lead uh, character. He did an interview with Backstage.com about his high school education, and I think this is so funny, Marissa. Uh, They asked him about acting and preparing for the show and whatever, and he said, quote, one of the great joys of being an actor is you get to go back to school. You get to learn stuff that you thought was not important when you were in high school. I was not paying attention during physics in high school. I was wondering if I was going to be cast in Pippin. (laughs) And he went on to talk about how, you know, in his own personal life, he wanted to be an actor. He's done a ton of theater. This is what he wants to do. But the idea that when you act and become a character, if you have a period piece like this, you can become a physicist. It's the idea of an actor being able to be an expert in physics. He's not going to go build a bomb himself. No. But he could be kind of an expert in that for the months that he films on Manhattan, I think, which is a, which is a good thing. I hope that more actors take on. Yeah, and I think it's it's great for method acting yeah. because it then makes you as a better person, better actor in your craft and in your field. And I think that's fascinating how he's dedicated for that amount of time. And also, you know, going from theater to on, you know, on-screen acting. I mean, so many people make that transition, so that's great for him that he's working in that way. Yeah, it's just the idea of being an expert, and that's, I think, one of the cool things about being an actor or a host, is you get to talk about something different every day. So today, we get to be World War II experts, we get to learn about that, tomorrow something different. It's that same idea with him, that he's going to be a physicist for a while, hopefully the show keeps going and is successful, and then whatever other projects he does, he gets to be, you know, he gets to be Pippin. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hey, 
Pippin's a great role, so I don't, <laughs> I don't blame him. The second one, and this is cool, The Daily Beast, which is Newsweek's like uh, online baby, I guess, calls Manhattan the summer's best new show. Mm. I was a little skeptical at first, but the critic, Kevin Fallon, their critic, writes a ton of good stuff, including, quote, there's a set of hurdles a new television series typically needs to clear in order to get viewers to watch it. First, it should be good, something that, that the compelling new drama Manhattan has going for it. The second hurdle, though, is where Manhattan might stumble, drilling into potential viewers' heads where and when to watch it. You see, Manhattan airs on WGN America, and most TV consumers have no idea what the hell WGN America is. <laughs> Which is true, unfortunately. Well, this is a sophomore show, so yeah. I mean, uh, people are just now getting onto the WGN bandwagon. I mean, we've been there since Salem, and that's why I wanted to bring but, this news in because we did Salem, which was WGN's first scripted drama, and he blasts Salem. The Daily Beast blows up Salem. They say Salem got a lot of viewers, surprisingly, but it wasn't any good, which I disagree with. No, it's but great. he says this one's going to be significantly better story-wise. I guess he had seen the first few episodes and said it really picks up in episode two. So. Well, also about Manhattan because Manhattan, yes, Salem was based off of real life events too, but Manhattan affected so many more people. This was a worldly um, environmental problem. And so much more recently, there's a lot of people who were alive during the Manhattan Project. Yeah, but so. a lot of people still alive. Not a, not a lot of people, I mean, yeah, a lot of yeah. people still alive who were alive for it. Not a lot of people today were alive during the Salem witch trials. Yeah, back in, <laughs> Except back for those witches, then. right? Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's the interesting thing with WGN, and we can talk about the business of television, but the idea that they uh, <laughs> that they uh, that they are, are growing into a scripted thing, and they kind of said that Manhattan, Kevin Fallon, the critic, thought that Manhattan was going to be WGN's Mad Men, and he said how AMC mm. put Mad or how Mad Men put AMC on the map. He thinks that Manhattan may put WGN on that scripted drama map where TV fans and viewers will say, okay, let's see what WGN comes out with next season. I'm going to watch whatever they do. Well, the interesting, I I find fascinating he made that comparison because Mad Men had a lot of strong male characters. And then you had the the women characters on the side who are still intriguing. And I feel like we had the same similarities with this show. I mean, a lot of strong men, leading actors. And then we also have the women who bring an interesting aspect to the story. And, And both Mad Men and Manhattan, very specific period pieces, you know, several decades ago in American history. Not too far along from time periods. Absolutely, each other yeah. And, and, and things that are very specific in how they talk, how they dress, how they act, and they have to be stuff like that because people alive today remember those time periods, so they have to honor those different than maybe Salem, WGN's other show. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get wait, into... Wait. I, oh. Actually, right, um, sorry, before we get into predictions, I just wanted to quickly, quickly touch upon the, the different groups that are in... The Manhattan Project, because I I personally didn't realize how many different groups were actually part of this, and and then so many groups that were actually shut down that we don't really know and didn't think of, because, again, we know the end result, but we didn't know how many people were actually involved in, like, different ideas that they were doing while they were trying to execute it. I mean, and did you notice the the badges that they were wearing? The, yeah, the, like, the G11 letters, and, and yeah, G16 G11. or whatever, absolutely. So, like, yeah. whatever groups they are in. So it makes me think how many specific groups... And letterings do they have? Well, and it's, it's, do you know what this reminds me of? I know you've seen this movie because you've seen every movie. Twister. 
Oh, yes, of course. This reminds me a lot of Twister because Bill Paxton's group was a little more rogue and they kind of had the trucks and whatever. And then I can't remember the character's name, but it was Carrie Elwes. His group was like they had all the money, they had all the funding. He's like Mm -hmm. Reed Akeley. And and he was a little more, you know, overtly evil than Reed Akeley is at this point. But this reminds me a lot of Twister and like competing groups for the same thing in the same situation. And again, one's more scientific, mass has all that, and then the other's more creative and just goes for it. I'm uh, going to watch Twister tonight. I got to write that down. Film. It's a great film. It's great a wonderful film. film. <laughs> yes, I approve. <laughs> and of course, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's that a lot of people probably forget about because he doesn't have a huge him. role. But he okay. was great in that film. We digress. All right. Let's, uh, should we do predictions now? Absolutely. Helen Hunt. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in that, so I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one's great. Oh, man. Okay, let's do, uh, you know what, start off with predictions. I've got one about Bill, but I have a feeling we're both going to talk about him. But what I, do you think? I think, you know, just going back to the, the marriage aspect, we're going to see more straining relationships going on. And I think releasing all these little secrets to people, especially Frank going to that one woman, maybe someone overheard him, who knows. And then we also had Charlie releasing this information to his wife. If he said everything in full and honesty... That's going to definitely buy him, especially for being so new, that there are definitely going to be more people being accusing each other of being spies. I think so. And I think, speaking of spies, two things for me. First off, I believe the way Bill was kidnapped or whatever at the end of the episode and kind mm-hmm. of dragged back with a bag over his head, I think they're looking at Bill as a spy. Because Asian descent, internment camps in this period of time— I don't know if he is or is not a spy. I don't know if what he was telling Frank was the truth. I guess I'll predict that he was telling the truth. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But I think they think he is a spy. He's going into an internment camp or wherever, and they're in big trouble. Second one for me, Charlie and Frank have too good of a relationship. Charlie was too jilted when Frank rejected his paper, and Charlie learned everything about Frank afterwards. Charlie will defect from Reed Akeley's team to Frank's team. That's exactly what I said. I was like, Charlie's going to leave Akeley because he... He respects Frank more so than he does Akeley. 100%. Akeley's just showing off all the technology and everything, but... But Frank actually Frank wants this Frank has the idea. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We did it at the start of the show, but social media links, I know they want to tweet you. Where can we get yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. And I'm on Twitter at Bobby Demiro on Instagram at Mr. Bobby Demiro. If you want to tweet after Buzz, if you're new to the show, at AfterBuzz TV. Just one word on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. All right, guys. And Snapchat. And Do you really have Snapchat? <laughs> No, you do. (laughs) I do have have a Snapchat. I won't give it out today, though. All right, guys, that's it this week on Manhattan. We'll see you next week for Episode 2. Thank you for joining us. Good night. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 